Welcome to INEXPERTS, Experts, where Wall Street goes digital. In each recording, we interview select members of INEX Limited's management, advisory, and director boards. We discuss current topics of note on Wall Street and the digital space, whether the discussion revolves around Federal Reserve policy, Wall Street practices, Bitcoin price modeling, or crypto exchange security. The INEX team has you covered. We aim to bridge the space between traditional and digital Wall Street, leaning on the decades of top-line experience within INEX. Hi, this is Douglas Borthwick. This is Alan Silbert. Hey, this is Jonathan Nazarwal. And we're here to discuss uh, Bitcoin, securities markets, digital, blockchain, and everything folks want to hear about and discuss. And I think for a start, let's talk about uh, coronavirus. What has coronavirus meant for blockchain, digital securities, and the macro environment? Alan? Yeah, sure. It's uh, hard to avoid talking about it, I guess. Uh, we're all very well aware of it. We're all stuck at home. Uh, can't, can't avoid its impact on life. Um, and, you know, interestingly, I, I spoke to my 97-year-old grandmother, and she said it was the worst thing that she had ever, ever gone through in her life, which I was actually kind of shocked um, after uh, living through the Great Depression and uh, World War II. So, uh, yeah, just to give some perspective on some, something that's from a 97-year-old that's lived through pretty much everything. It's, yeah, it's a crazy time. Um, yeah, you know, I think, um, you know, we, we kind of knew that something would um, kind, of, kind of bring down the house of cards of global markets. And this, this kind of might be what ends up doing it. Um, you know, I mean, personally, I've just, uh, over the past, few decades, you know, I've kind of seen this trend of, of uh, global debt markets um, Yeah, we probably should have ripped off the Band-Aid in the, in the Lehman era, but things seem to continue unabated after a little pause there. And, and now um, I think the Corona has kind of uh, given us a, a huge obstacle to overcome and, and one that, uh, you know, an over-leveraged global market has, has caused us a lot of pain. And, um, yeah, it's, 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 and so far it looks like a pretty interesting experiment so far in money printing, which, you know, we can speak further about. It's, uh, it's, it's really uh, crazy to see this unfold. Jonathan. Well, like, um, Alan just said, um, extreme, extreme measures from central banks. I mean, um, those guys printed literally trillions of dollars to um, make sure the economy keep going. Uh, they announced unlimited QE, something we have been, we have been um, very familiar with during the 2008 crisis. We had uh, QE1, QE2, QE3, and now basically we have QE unlimited. So for the people who hear that and who are not familiar, um, what is QE? Basically QE means uh, um, quantitative easing. That's uh, basically the action by the central bank to buy debt on the market. This is basically monetization of the debt. So people call this printing money because the Fed is uh, basically printing money and buy on the market uh, debt that they actually issued in the past. So 
it's basically similar with what uh, the South Republic of Japan has been doing for a while now to avoid um, deflationary pressure. And, you know, the, the question is where all those policies leads to. And uh, I have my theories on that. Uh, and I'm sure you do as well, Doug. Uh, I'm curious to to hear what you have to say about that. Sure. I mean, it's it's certainly they're printing money, but let, let's just look at where they're investing it. So in, back when I was in school, we talked about the risk-free rate in, uh, in investing. And the risk-free rate generally was seen as a U.S. Treasury bill because it was seen as that was the least manipulated market in the world, but also it was AAA rated. It could never, uh, never default. And one of the astounding things now is that because central banks are so involved in buying debt in the treasury markets, but also in the mortgage markets, in the asset-backed markets, pretty much across the curve, and in many countries they're buying in the equity markets, then we actually don't know the real price of risk because it's always been supported by central banks, at least for the last 10 years. And so, you know, folks are, are being pushed out the risk curve into more and more risky assets in order to get some sort of yield, some sort of return. And the returns they're getting don't equal the risks that they're having to put out there. When you look at AAA paper these days, and you have to actually pay the government because there's negative interest rates, that's a problem. But when you look at, uh, you know, very, uh, very high risky paper, and that's only paying you three or 4%, that's also a problem. And there's a whole generation of traders that have grown up thinking that a risky yield is something that's north of 5%, as opposed to north of 10%. And that to me is rather astounding. And you, you, you look at coronavirus and how that's affecting trading floors. And not only do you have a generation of traders that have never traded through an event, but now they're also trading this, this event from home, and you look at the liquidity before the crisis, and now liquidity is even worse. I mean, to me, it's it's a there's a huge liquidity gap in the market, and uh, that's astounding. But what it does, this has pushed everything towards a digital space. Obviously, we're talking over a digital podcast right now. When we have meetings, we we discuss it over Zoom, which is in a digital way of meeting, and as opposed to the analog way of shaking hands and seeing someone in a room. But also, when it comes down to the securities. You know, we're now seeing a lot more interest in folks uh, looking at digital securities because, let's face it, folks want to trade risk 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They don't want to have to wait for the New York Stock Exchange to open on a Monday morning when uh, news comes out on the weekend. And I think that digital securities are now becoming much more interesting, much more of a focus. But also companies are now looking and saying, do we really need this many people working in the back office do, or do we need this this much real estate uh, you know, when, when folks have to work from home. And if you want to find a way to reduce overhead when it comes to people or real estate, one of the best ways is to move things online, to move them digital. And that's obviously where crypto comes in. Yeah, and it is interesting that, you know, we are, we are at the end of, I think, what's the longest bull market in history. And um, probably, the, probably the majority of Wall Street traders uh, haven't really seen a a major event like this, uh, they've, they've been kind of, they've, they've been given a gift for the, for many years with this bull market. So, um, so yeah. And, and so I guess it's the interesting thing is now what, what does this mean for crypto? Um, 
you know, you have this money printing that is, you know, beyond anything we've ever seen. I think we'll probably be over 10 trillion just from Corona when, by the time things are said and done, 10 trillion of, of uh, central balance sheet uh, debt. You have this like distrust of government, which, you know, cryptocurrency advocates, you know, or this is a total hot button issue. But, um, you know, in this particular case, everybody screwed up. That seems to have been in a place of power with uh, with some exceptions. Some countries seem to handle it better than others. You know, it seems like in the U.S., pretty much everybody dropped the ball. So this distrust of government kind of feeds into a, a crypto mindset. Um, you have the negative rates uh, that Doug was talking about before. And, um, you know, and, and the whole global currency um, relationship is probably something's probably going to change. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know if it means the reserve currency is, is going to shift. I mean, you know, then in history, they usually have a finite life of a couple hundred years or something, but I don't know. It's, it's, um, it's an interesting environment. Um, it could bode, you know, very, very well for crypto, um, you know, especially like the, uh, you know, like a Bitcoin that is actually, you know, decentralized. So it, it will be interesting to see how, how, uh, how things, you know, turn out. Um, you know, I think initially it seems like Bitcoin and cryptos have been mapped, you know, they've been well correlated with, uh, equity markets, um, you know, and, and John probably has more to say about that. Um, but so it'll be interesting to see what happens going forward. You know, once we're beyond all the margin calls and and see if yeah. see if it detaches. No, I mean, uh, you know, if if you look at the cryptocurrency market and and what happened lately, I think uh, it, it's very interesting, um, especially as basically two camps kind of uh, develops right now. You have the people who thinks that uh, you know we're going to have a V shape recovery and that you know by the end of the of the summer basically everything will be uh back uh online and the industry will work again and you know like corona will be gone basically that's people who think that the market will go v-shape um especially with all the you know quantitative things happening right now we know that support the market some people think that we might actually break new high uh, by the end of the year, which is kind of crazy if you think about uh, the impact of a pandemic uh, has on um, on the society and on the economy globally, right? Uh, and then you have other people who are basically more pessimistic. I think I'm one of those actually uh, that think that right now we are basically in the hope phase. So we had the shock, right? The shock was extremely brutal. The market lost around maybe 35% on the S&P, right? In a very short amount of time, um, similar to 29, which is uh, which which says something, right? Um, and then right now the market rebound. Rebounds because the market kind of hope that in a few months, everything will uh, go back to normal. Now, what I'm very afraid of is that once the economy decides to reopen, and it looks like it's going to happen during the month of May, I'm um, I'm French, and I know that in France, for example, they uh, announced today that uh, they're going to reopen the economy the 11th of May, 
Uh, I heard that a few states in the U.S. also plan to reopen this month. And Spain as well, who has been very much targeted by the pandemic, is also planning to reopen in, in May. So in the, the month of May, you know, there is an adage that say, sell in May and go away. I'm very afraid that that's going to happen because <laughs> when the, seriously, I mean, when the economy reopens, what's going to happen is that people realize that things are not coming back because things people will still be afraid um you know like the supply chain has been pretty much been broken um countries are looking to bring back production and industry locally um and 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 you know i i think that everybody knows someone that unfortunately got the disease and sometimes may have died from it so people are in, are still in shock i mean this is something that you don't forget the day after and if you tell me you know the economy reopened tomorrow i'm not sure i'm going to take a plane tomorrow you know i'm going to wait because i'm not trying i i have to trust the government because this um crisis has been very badly managed actually so i'm more one of those that think that right now we are in the hope phase and unfortunately after uh we're gonna have uh kind of a deleveraging phase uh where there will be a lot of defaults from company a lot of destruction of money some kind of deflationary cycle so this is bad and i think this is also bad for crypto because you know in a global deleveraging environment no risky assets uh basically can avoid uh what's happening but medium term to long term like a couple of years down i think it, there is a tremendous opportunity for crypto uh because with all the money even if we go through a first phase of deflation, I think at the end of the day, hyperinflation will kick in and a finite scarce asset like Bitcoin is probably the best thing you can hold uh, if that happens. I, 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 think that, I think you're right on the argument that at some point inflation will kick in, but I think that the way that inflation would kick in in this environment is the reality is that the Fed's printing so many dollars right now because there's a need for them globally around the world. If emerging markets don't get dollars quickly, then they can't pay back the dollar loans that they have existing in the market. And emerging markets then blow up and there's a huge new you know, experience that we have to go through with that as well. And so they're printing dollars because the dollars are needed. Now, let's say there was a V-shaped recovery and someone came up with a cure for coronavirus tomorrow. Well, that would mean then that the Fed's thrown too much uh, money at a situation that doesn't actually need it for the next 18 months or a year. And if that's the case, then we're going to have everyone saying that there's so much money swishing around and that's going to cause inflation. But if, in fact, this is an 18-month uh, program we have to deal with, then maybe the Fed hasn't printed enough money and even more money has to be printed. And that's, I think, the, the question that's out there. Being the reserve currency puts the U.S. in a tremendous position in that everyone demands dollars. 
the Fed can print them and the Fed can essentially not pay people very much money in, in return for printing dollars. Now, Trump, interestingly enough, has had an America First program since he came into office. And in that program, he said, look, I want to bring manufacturing internally. And I think after this virus, everyone's thinking, yes, we should be manufacturing. If this virus comes from China, and now we have to you know, call up China and get face masks delivered here, but we can't get them delivered because the planes aren't flying, these are all problems. And so certainly America First is looking good. There's also the question then about the borders. Will folks let everyone you know, come across the border over the next uh, couple of years if they're worried about them bringing coronavirus with them? And the, the answer is probably no. I think that he'll probably have more support for that as well. So what's really crazy is that the Trump programs that everyone's railed against over the last uh, three years may be coming into focus now or in vogue around the world. But I think that one of the, the most interesting things is I think that the, 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 it's, the, it's the permanence of, of, um, of Bitcoin, the fact that it can't be printed, that, that makes folks, I think, feel actually more, uh, more happy about holding it than, you know, the, obviously the fiat and the dollars. Now, there's lots of people that I think have, have died on a cross saying that there's too much uh, fiat printing and the dollar is going to weaken. And all you've seen is dollar strength over the last decade. And certainly the dollar will weaken at some point, but it's only going to weaken when folks you know, decide that it's not going to be a reserve currency. And one of the things I think that's really important that folks like to look at, especially as macro traders, is you don't fight the Fed and you don't fight central banks. And if there's one thing that central banks are doing right now that I find really interesting is that they're discussing digital currencies. Now, that's very exciting. You know, China's obviously leading the way in that, but there's other countries as well. And if a digital dollar was to come into existence or a digital yuan to comes into existence, I think that that's going to change the game and then would sort of take the dollar's dominance off the table. Um, but until we see that, and that could actually happen in the next, you know, 18 months to, to two years. Until we see that, though, I think the dollar's going to be very dominant. So I don't know, you know, to me, it's, uh, you know, I, I kind of... Uh... Kind of laugh when I see governments discuss like a digital dollar, or digital one, because it. I mean, it doesn't seem terribly different to me than what we have right now. You know, if, if the U.S. has a digital dollar, well, all right. Um, you know, right now they, you know, dollars that we print are basically zeros and ones on a ledger. <laughs> you know, it's so uh, it's so it's like. You know what's 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 the difference? How is like a digital dollar different than just PayPal? I have I have my theory on that. And <laughs> tell me what you think. Let's hear it. You're right. It's completely buzzword uh, digital dollar. I mean, everybody has a bank account in the U.S. and we know that everything is digital already. So what those guys are exactly talking about here? And I think what's happening is that this digital dollar we know will be issued by the Fed, right? And I think that this is a way for, for the Fed. Actually, this is a way for people to have a, a, some kind of a bank account directly with the central bank. So you kind of bypass the commercial bank, right? And think about it. The U.S. wanted to do a $2 trillion uh, stimulus, and then you need to basically send checks to every single people because everybody is with a different bank. Now, think about just if 
every single one in the US just has to download an app and open a bank account directly with the Fed. Then the Fed can just basically deliver the money in the app directly to the people, right? And I think that's just opening um, a way, at least new measures of helicopter money that was kind of unthinkable until now. And basically the line has been crossed. And, and I'm afraid that it's going to be crossed again and again and again. And they're just looking to build something that is much easier for them to do it. Just think how much the, the Fed would enjoy as well. And I think that the Chinese central banks talked about this. If they could see exactly how you spend every dollar that's sent to you. And I think that one of the great things about the digital yuan is that the Chinese uh, authorities could be able to see exactly how you're spending your money, where you're spending your money, and when you're spending your money. And that sort of information is absolutely incredible for governments <laughs> is, to have. Which is super funny, right? Because everybody talk about blockchain and you know g- digital dollar and how it's amazing. Because, but because it, you know, like when you think about blockchain, you think about decentralization, right? But Let's say everybody has an account with the Fed. It's actually extra centralization compared to what we have now, right? <laughs> so let's see what happens. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I could generally, I, I could see this flying in China for sure. I mean, you know, <laughs> the, the government will institute what they want to institute and the people will, you know, likely have to comply. Uh, in the U.S., it would probably lead to some kind of civil war or something. <laughs> But you I don't know, know. Who, who knows? Because, I mean, and, yeah, you know, I, I mean, disagree with that. People, yeah. <laughs> if you tell people I'm gonna I'm gonna drop one thousand dollars to every single one of you, I can, you know, bet with you that most of the people will open the account, right? Yeah, yeah I, yeah. I agree with Jonathan. If you, if you give someone two thousand dollars and you give it to them through this way, then of course they're going to give up their civil liberties and their rights because it's two thousand dollars. So then you have the banks, which in the Facebook US Facebook does are, it for nothing. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, the banks in the U.S. are pretty powerful now. So then, you know, it'll be interesting what di- what that dynamic turns into. You know, especially like you know, post Lehman, the banks all you know, uber capitalized, whatever, and uh, pretty powerful in the U.S. So, and I have also a theory on that, but let's let's try to 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 think forward. Let's say we are going into a big deflationary wave, right? And a big, like most of the of compor- most of the companies and corporations will basically default on their debt, right? Um, if that happens because of the corona, basically one of the first uh, industry that's going to be hit big time is the bank because that's the one that are not going to be paid back, right? And if you want a civil war in this country, then you do what you did in 2008. You save the bank while people basically died from corona in the hospital because there is not not even mask over there to save people. Now, tell them that you're going to put billions of dollars to save the banks again right and and if you have this new system with a bank with the fed then you know 
in the unlikely scenario that a lot of banks basically fail and the governments decide not to save all of them, at least there is a way out. Uh, you know, I'm extrapolating here, but if there is a huge wave of default, I mean, the banks will be hit pretty hard. Yeah, so it's, uh, it, you know, it's, it's everybody's going to be getting in line for bailouts. So it's, uh, it'll be interesting to see who, who gets uh, picked first. Yeah, but that, I mean, that, that's a huge problem too, Alan. You know, you look at who's got their hands out for the bailouts, obviously the airlines. The airlines do, what, 30-odd billion of stock buybacks, and then they ask this government for 50 billion. Um, and folks are sitting there scratching their heads saying, why are we bailing out the airlines? And I don't think the government's even asking for an equity portion of the uh, of the investment. They're just sort of you know handing them the money saying, here we go, we can't do without you. Um, but it's also, you know, are, are we going to bail out the cruise lines? Because they're going to be in some difficulty too. But really, you know, we should be looking at industries we think that will thrive going forward and the government should be investing in those and letting the other ones have chapter 11 take uh, take place and, and, you know, let's have some bankruptcies and have folks pick over the assets and, you know, make them proper investments again. That's one of the biggest problems, I think, from 2008 is that the government papered over all of the issues that banks had, not allowing them really to strengthen their balance sheets. It's sort of like when you look at Greece, you know, Greece had had its own uh, debt issues. Um, and, you know, the Greek unemployment is still around the same as it was back then. They're their, their ability to pay their debts around the same, but their interest rates have, you know, were, were skyrocketing up around 18% during the crisis. And now they're back to zero or negative um, when nothing's really happened other than the European Central Bank came in and papered over the issue. And, and I think that that's one of the biggest problems is that really since 2000, you know, governments haven't allowed companies to go bankrupt. And so we're left with this sort of, I guess, Japanification of the uh, the economies now globally around the world where central banks have come in and effectively have nationalized companies without actually taking any equity interest. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's frustrating too, because, you know, in like your local community, uh, you see, you know, the small businesses are the ones that are, you know, are really hurting. So, you know, it's, uh, I think hundreds of billions of dollars have gone into stock buybacks for, you know, several years, um, you know, billions and billions of dollars. So, um, yeah. And, you know, it's, uh, should be, should be something, something more, you know, um, penalizing, uh, on companies that have done, I mean, you know, it's, it's part of balance, it's part of managing your, your balance sheet stock buybacks, but, um, you know, but to, to go and spend hundreds of billions of dollars on it and then go and get, you know, tens of billions of uh, government handouts, uh, it's uh, definitely frustrating. The free market yeah. is dead. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but that's right. That's right. The, the free market is dead. And you actually, when you do look at the small business, you know, I live in a town where our whole, you know, our town is, is built upon these small businesses. And, you know, we said, you know, no to the, the big bricks and mortar uh, uh guys and it's all small businesses these guys having no business for about a month and a half now I mean, you know, they don't have large uh, capital savings to be able to keep up uh, and running so once this is all over we're gonna have a time where every single storefront is going to be closed and dead and that's why there's a push right now to all the governors saying open up the state open up the you know the country because folks have to get back to work have to open up their stores or they've just lost their whole livelihoods 
And it's not because of a fault they made or a mistake they made. It's because the government told them to shut everything down. Yep. Yep. So, and then... Which brings us to distrust of government. <laughs> distrust right. of government. You've got the, you get the Fed printing, and not just the Fed, but every, every central bank around the world. Now, you look at Bitcoin, and Bitcoin has been pretty good on a year-to-date basis relative to equities. Um. I think that there's a lot of interest in this having event that's happening in the next 12 days. And uh, you know, can, can you guys explain that one to me? Yeah, sure. The, um, so the was built into the, the Bitcoin protocol uh, by uh, Satoshi, um, whoever he or they may be, um, was a um, forced reduction in the Bitcoin reward approximately every four years. So the idea was kind of to, to um, you know, have a predictable issuance schedule that kind of weaned the miners off of uh, the, this reward schedule and more into like a, a fee income over time. And it, it, it spreads out over, you know, I think it ends in 2140, the end of the, of the issuance schedule. But when, when Bitcoin was first created, uh, I believe it was uh, each reward every 10 minutes was about 50 Bitcoins that the miners received. And then that got halved to 25. Then it got halved to 12 and a half Bitcoins every approximate 10 minutes. And then um, this one, so I believe this is the fourth halving, um, which is going to happen in almost exactly 13 days from now, if uh, the calculator is right. Um, it's going to get halved to 6.25 Bitcoins every every 10 minutes about. So, um, you know, I think that, you know, and there's, and there's so much prognostication about what this means. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's had a, a wonderful pattern in the past of creating a, you know, a, a huge bull run afterwards. Uh, you know, who knows if that's going to happen this time. Um, I think what's important is that, you know, especially versus a background of, trillions of dollars of, of money being printed. You have this, you know, predictable stream, um, this predictable issuance stream of Bitcoins. Uh, it can't be changed. Um, as long as Bitcoin stays Bitcoin and, um, in the current protocol, um, which at this point I think is, you know, any, any other outcome would be remote. Um, you have this predictable stream of issuance over all of time, um, that can't be changed by a human. Uh, so, um, what usually happens uh, <clears throat> is right now you have 12 and a half bitcoins at you know roughly $7,700. You have about $100,000 getting rewarded out to miners every 10 minutes or so. So you cut that in half, and obviously, you know, their income goes down dramatically. So um, there, there will be a shakeout of miners that can't operate profitably. Um, I think this is what generally happens at the time of having. Um, so there is a reduction in the security infrastructure that runs the protocol. But I mean, I, I would argue um, that you know the, the security infrastructure behind Bitcoin now is absolutely immense. Um, you know the 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 hashing algorithm, the the lottery that miners try to run constantly to win bitcoins, is up to 
something crazy. Like I think the hashing algorithm gets run like 10 quintillion times a second or something. It's, a, it's something. What happens like to these miners? What happens to the miners that uh, end their business? I have a story. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, let's hear. And I don't think I never told you that, but um, basically I got into uh, full-time in the space back in uh, 2014, right? And um, basically at the time I was um, managing some kind of uh, algorithmic uh, strategy for edge bound. And uh, in parallel, I was uh, managing uh, remotely um, a mining operation based in Canada. So the mining operation was set basically at the in the middle of uh, 2014, around $1.2 million was invested to buy machines. They were hosted in um, Canada, where we could find some uh, interesting prices for electricity. And uh, this operation has been a, <laughs> has been a complete uh, fiasco, to be honest. So what happened is that at the really beginning, we were mining things that seem unreal right now. Basically, we were around 1.5% of the total network, and we were mining around 25 to 30 Bitcoin every single day, right? So right now, it's around uh, yeah, $250,000 per day. So um, at current price. Obviously, in 2014, 2015, price was around $400. And we went... We were actually in the middle of the bear market at that time. And only in twenty end of 2015, 2016, the market started to recover. And in 2016, basically, the fraud halving uh, happened, right? And our um, revenue was basically cut in half, like Alan explained. And uh, we could not continue to operate because... What we were mining was basically below what we had to pay the data center in electricity every month. So we strike, we tried to, you know, strike some deal with the guy uh, managing the data center, like to kind of, you know, do 50-50 on the gain to make sure, like maybe to diminish the return um, or the prices and. What I want to say is it's an extremely competitive industry and you better be prepared, especially in 2020. So if the miners, the most successful ones, are already ready for the coming album, they're not going to wake up the day after and say, oh my God, how I'm going to operate, right? They have prepared already six months ago first of all buying a new, new generation of machine and make sure that they can survive because at the end of the day only the best survive and the weakest die and that's what happened to me in 20 in 2015 2016 and to answer your question what happened to us at the time and you're gonna laugh we sold the entire park of machines, and it was at the time 150 machines, 
and each machine was maybe you know one meter now maybe 80 centimeter per 80 centimeter you know so like a big thing and it was around you know maybe six kilos or five kilos um and we had 150 of them and we didn't know what to do with it because we just want to you know like it was not interesting to buy them for anyone because it was not profitable so what we ended up doing is we sold everything for two thousand dollars a one million dollar investment was sold for two thousand dollars to the data center and that's what happens when you don't have big pockets to basically buy more machine and stay competitive yeah i mean you know that the the equipment can't be used for any other purpose really so you know it's just uh it's just dead equipment unless it's in the hands of uh you know pretty low cost miner so it's um you know there's you know there's a lot of uh chatter about you know Bitcoin security is going to be impacted. I mean, but it's it's more of really it'll just be a shakeout um, of who can't um, who can't operate profitably. Unfortunately for Jonathan, he's part of that history, and so, uh, you know it's it'll things things will churn on. Uh, you know the 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 hash rate. Um, you know the the security infrastructure of miners behind Bitcoin's protocol just constantly you know long term just goes up in a in an up up into the right graph so um you know it's a pretty robust infrastructure all right so what you're saying is that the security is diminished somewhat because there's fewer miners at the same time the cost of creating new bitcoin is going to go up um but for some reason the price is going to go up is that because now if you need bitcoin you have to buy them as opposed to mine them no so, first of all, there is a side effect of that mining capitulation, because when you basically go bankrupt, the only asset you're left with is one, your machine, and two, the Bitcoin you mine, and you kind of accumulate it all along, right? So when you cannot operate anymore, what you do is you sell all your coins. So what happens usually if you look at the two last halving is that past Alving like the next one or two months, price goes down. And I think it's a direct relationship of miners capitulating. Our rate goes down. Uh, those miners who capitulate sell all their Bitcoins and basically stop operating their business. So um, that's one aspect. Then when those weak miners are, are dead, the miner left has actually more power globally on the network, right? So they mine more Bitcoin. They have a better percentage of the total network. So they are stronger overall. So they are able to hold more on their coin. But that happened only two months after the album. In parallel, because they less, they mean less Bitcoin, they have less to sell, right? So it's less selling pressure on the market. And that's this effect over time that uh, 
let uh, the price goes up because typically the demand stay the same or goes up around halving and uh, at the same time selling pressure goes down because there is less bitcoin to sell yeah it's like at current prices you i think you have roughly 14 million dollars of bitcoins uh, are getting issued a day so now you're gonna you're gonna have that halved. So that's you know you're gonna have it going from you know 14 million a day to seven a day, which is you know what like five five billion a year to two and a half billion a year. I think if my math is right. So um, yeah, you just the supply that just keeps getting getting rewarded to miners. It's just it's less out there that they are going to be selling on the market to pay their electricity bills. All right, so you've got the halving coming up, and that should be pushing up the price, theoretically, of uh, of Bitcoin, which would then drag up the prices of other digital assets. You've got a move towards digital that's being spurred by coronavirus and the lack of social uh, interaction between folks. Um, and then you've also got sovereigns that are out there printing money like crazy, and the fiat uh, should be weakening at some point on the back of that. It sounds like it's pretty much a prepped up time for the digital space and for crypto in general yeah i mean usually you know the having is a big event that's celebrated across the bitcoin world <laughs> with uh, you know it's almost like uh, new year's eve with the with the clock ticking down to the having event so um so be a it, lot of zoom zoom parties this year then for that yeah, totally. VR, VR. <laughs> but you know now it's it's really now it's it's almost taking a, a back burner to a lot of different macro events that it could really affect the, the future of of uh, cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin, everything else, because um, this is, this is really a watershed event. So this is prime time, guys. This is prime time. I think. I mean, um, we know that Bitcoin does its its thing and does not need anyone to perform. We have seen that for the last ten years. Right, and uh, you know, God knows that nobody gave a shit about Bitcoin for a long time, and it didn't prevent it to perform better than any other asset class for the last ten years. But now, what's happening is that the events are like um, you know, cocktail molotov. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. For for Bitcoin because all the stars are aligned, and some people would be very 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 surprised and I guess disappointed if uh, Bitcoin does not take the chance now to really shine. I mean, you know, like globally, like increase awareness, right, to institutions. Yeah. Maybe I think, we I think could see. Maybe we could see. A central bank that is not the US, that is not Europe, someone else buying Bitcoin. You know, who knows? Yeah, if not now, then when? Yeah, totally right. All right, well, listen, guys, thanks very much for sharing your thoughts uh, today on this, our very first podcast. Uh, Alan, Jonathan, thank you very much. Hey, it was great. Thank you. you.